This is Waves, a podcast from APTA Michigan. I'm Andy Wicks. If you've been listening to recent episodes, hopefully you've picked up that the physical therapy field is wide-ranging, ever-changing, and full of interesting and enthusiastic people. Today's guest is no exception. Dr. Rebecca Griffith is a physical therapist, a delegate, a soapbox stander, and a lifter-upper of those around her. This conversation started around the topic of physical therapy in the emergency department, which I still find fascinating, but it grew into something much more. I hope you enjoy it. I'm Rebecca Griffith. I'm a physical therapist at University of Colorado Hospital in the Denver metro area in Colorado. And I've been a physical therapist for, oh, I think, 13 years now. I am board certified in neurologic clinical physical therapy. And I am currently working on my FAOMPT at Regis University. And I've been practicing in the emergency department for about five and a half years is when our program started. So we've been doing it for about that long. What else can I add? <laughs> so you're an NCS and you're also getting your manual fellowship and you work in an emergency department. So you're kind of a Renaissance woman. I like to think of myself as an all patient therapist, not an inpatient <laughs> therapist or an outpatient <laughs> therapist, but you know, an all patient therapist. Well, I like that. I like that. So really, I want to know how did you get started working in an emergency department? I think when people hear physical therapists, they don't initially say, oh, that one person who works in the emergency department. Yeah, so I think I think there's some context there. The first first thing I want to put out there is that emergency physical therapist practice is really more about what we do and not where we do it. So the scope of that is much larger than what we're going to talk about today. But to practice in the emergency department is what we'll focus on. And so how I started that was working as an acute care therapist, we would have days where we would get paged to come to the emergency department. Hey, can you come down and see this patient? We we just don't quite think that they're safe to go home. And so we would do that. And it was definitely a learning experience that it was a different pace. It was a different um, set of rules. It was a different set of circumstances, different equipment, different space, different staff. And what happened was over time, we were getting called more and more to the point where if I was carrying the pager to go to the emergency department, but also had a full caseload on the floor, like there had to be some give and take there. I was not having enough time to see my patients on the floor and the patients in the emergency department, but it was so unpredictable. So as one of my specialist projects at our hospital, I looked into whether we could start a pilot program of having a full-time PT in the emergency department and myself, along with a team of amazing physical therapists, we decided to give that a shot. And we actually used the APTA toolkit about emergency physical therapist practice and pitched the administrators, both uh, in the rehab department as well as the emergency department. And they said, okay, we'll give you a month and we'll just see how it goes. And we haven't left since. And we have a new pilot starting in January. <laughs> that was five years ago, you said? That's fantastic. How common, well, and maybe you might, you might not know this, but how common is, is it to see a physical therapist working in an emergency department? Well, it's becoming more and more common, but it's also not that cutting edge. There have been physical therapists in the emergency department for well over 15 years, um, probably closer to 20. Also, it's very common in, in places like the UK and Canada, Australia, where our colleagues have been doing this for quite some time. 
In the United States, we know that there are at least 50 emergency PT programs, um, several urgent care programs as well. And while that kind of sounds like a lot in theory, if you stop and think about it, that's still like maybe one per state. I think we're probably yeah. closer to 75, 80, but those are just the programs that we know about. So if you're, work, if you're hearing this and you're working in an emergency department as a physical therapist, I would love to hear from you. We're trying to gather some data and um, really connect and become a larger voice. Well, that leads me to kind of my next question is, is there in the PT community, is there a special interest group for PTs in the emergency department? Yeah, so for many, many years, we've been part of a focus group within the Academy of Acute Care. And a focus group is nice in that you don't have to be a member of that academy to participate in the focus group. So the Academy of Acute Care actually set us up really nicely to allow people to from other academies to be able to engage with our group. It also doesn't cost any money. And so within that group, we have formed a steering committee to try and move emergency physical therapist practice forward within the APTA. So we're still working on, like, will we become a special interest group? Is this a practice area that should be in its own academy? Does this fit in with one practice area more than another? And I think just from the sheer patient mix that we see, I don't think we can really be classified as neurologic physical therapists or orthopedic physical therapists or primary care physical therapists. We really are kind of a top of scope niche practice. So it'll be interesting to see as the steering committee begins its work, which direction we'll go. And some of that work also came out of the House of Delegates motion from 2020 that the APTA supports emergency physical therapist practice and will start to promote that area of practice as well as identify and tackle barriers. That's so cool. I'm just kind of sitting here wishing I could take notes because this is all stuff that I, as a physical therapist who've been practicing for a decade, that just didn't know. And I feel a little silly about that. So I think that's fantastic. It's funny that you that you mentioned how long PTs have been working in the emergency department and you mentioned urgent care as well, which I guess makes a lot of sense. If you think about it, a lot of orthopedic injuries I've seen, uh, especially around here, uh, I live in Michigan. I live in the Grand Rapids area and there's a lot of healthcare in Grand Rapids. There's a lot of the orthopedic urgent care centers that are popping up. And I've been curious to see, well, they have PTs that are staffing there because you see a lot of, uh, a lot of orthopedic injuries that I'm sure that uh, a PT could treat uh, just as well. So I guess it brings it to a topic of, you also mentioned primary care PT, which is a term that I don't think a lot of people necessarily hear or would maybe understand. How would you define primary care physical therapy? So uh, when I think of the concept of a primary care physical therapist, this is somebody who's truly managing the overall care of their patients and coordinating that as as necessary. So I can think of one physical therapist that I have worked with in the past who, who has their own outpatient clinic, but they really truly run, run that as primary care providers. If they feel their patient needs to go to a neurologist, they make those referrals, but they still own the patient. They send that patient out for imaging. They manage all of those things as a primary point of entry into the healthcare system as necessary. So that's what I think about that. But I'll definitely leave that podcast to the experts who are working in that area. There, There is some motion on that towards having that be either a special interest group or an academy. So I think it'd be really interesting to hear a podcast about that. But my brilliant idea for APTA headquarters is that the bottom floor be a PT walk-in urgent care clinic. 
I think that'd be the coolest, right? So if you're walking through, you know, that area in Virginia and you see this sign that says urgent care, physical therapy, or musculoskeletal pain, like walk in, I mean, surely there's a physical therapist in the building who could come right down and take care of that. And I just think it would be the coolest way to really connect with people and show them what we do. And I've seen a lot of that in the emergency department because for a lot of people, physical therapy is a luxury. They, they've never heard of it. They don't know what it is. They can't afford it. They don't have health insurance. They don't have a stable housing situation. They don't speak English. Like there are so many barriers to care. But in the emergency department, I can get to those people. And hopefully educate them, if, even if that's all we can do, just giving them that point of entry and that education. And hopefully there's more we can do, referring them to places that can help them, letting them know that there are solutions to their problems that are out there. So I think the more we can do to help connect people to physical therapy, whether that's through the emergency department or any other setting, this is a place where we can capture those folks that get lost in the cracks. So I took two points away from what you just said, and one of them was you mentioned social determinants of health and how those can be barriers. And I've had conversations. We've, uh, our podcast has actually had several episodes kind of on, to quote a dynamo of a PT student from Michigan, Bana Ode, that healthcare for people who don't look like white people is a very different circumstance than healthcare for people who are white people. So I'm, it's very much on my mind right now. But you also talked about reaching these patients in the emergency room. So I'm going to play devil's advocate and say, well, people that are coming to the emergency department as their primary source of care is that's what drives up healthcare costs and what causes all these long waits in the emergency department, things like that. What would you say to those people? I'm just curious. Well, I would say that most of those people don't come there because they want to. Some people come there because they have to. They Literally, they have no health insurance. They have no money. Yeah. There's nowhere else for them to go. So for some of those people, it's, it's a social safety net. And unfortunately, it's the best one that we have. For other people, it's, it's really an access issue from practicality. Like we have a before work wave and an after work wave because doctor's offices often have those nine to five hours. And, and if you and I can't get off work to go and have an appointment, how do we expect people who's, who may be day laborers or who may have no PTO or who may have expended all of their leave time, you know, homeschooling their kids during the pandemic. So for some people, it's just, it's a thing that's open. For other people, they don't know what they need. So how would they know if they should go see a physical therapist? All they know is they've woken up in excruciating pain or with debilitating vertigo. They don't know where to go. They think it's an emergency, so they come to the emergency department. But I would say the other thing about that is those people that have those feelings, they should be glad there's a physical therapist in the emergency department because we are not delaying throughput times. We're helping decrease unnecessary imaging. We're helping decrease unnecessary medication usage. We're decreasing the number of patients that are admitted to the hospital unnecessarily. We're prescribing appropriate and timely durable medical equipment. We're connecting them with appropriate follow-up, whether that's outpatient physical therapy, subacute rehab, home health services, social work, case management. We are actually, I think, 
swimming upstream in the waterfall at the end of the downstream. So we are doing everything we can to help push those people back up over the waterfall. And that I think will help decrease costs in the long run. Now, if I can connect you to what you need outside of that, or educate you a little bit so you know when these things are emergencies and not, then that also will help keep you from coming back. Some of our data has shown that if, if a patient sees a physical therapist, there's less likely to come back to the emergency room for anything, any reason within like a 10 day time period if they are 50% less likely to come back for the same reason. So if you came for back pain, you're 50% less likely to come back in that 10 day window than you are if you didn't see a physical therapist. You're also more likely to go to your first follow-up appointment if you saw a physical therapist than if a physician just said you should see one. So we're making changes and we are helping address those concerns that that person might raise. You can tell I get a little fired up about this. I didn't mean to poke the bear, but I'm kind of glad that I did because you gave a heck of a speech right there. My goodness, you're, I'm, a, I'm converted, that's for sure. So I'm very blessed to work in a clinic that has a really great interdisciplinary focus. So I my... I literally share an office with my OTs. My speechies are right down the hall. The psychologists are just beyond them down the hall. I can go talk to, and 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 the social workers like it's it's no big deal for me at all just to go walk down the hall and talk to them and and you know solve a problem that way. How often do you have that luxury? I guess working as you are in the emergency department, do you find yourself playing the role of social worker case manager? Because it sounds like you're 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 firing out referrals and resources and you know, any information you can get out to your patients or do you have colleagues on your team that kind of serve that role and you can work with them? How much, like how much of your job is really just, here's this info, here's this info, here's this info. Oh, I, this may not be the experience of every physical therapist that works in the emergency department, but for me, it's one of my favorite places to be because it's the ultimate team sport. Emergency providers, they are so used to asking other people for help, right? When somebody comes in, their job is to figure out if you're dying or if something's <laughs> really wrong, and then they're really great at that. But beyond that, their their top skill is figuring out who you need to talk to. They know yeah. exactly when to call the neurologist, call the orthopedist, call the nephrologist. They also know when to call the physical therapist. And we work as a team, and we're treated as a consulting provider and not a technician service. So they really want our professional opinion, and they they do treat us in that role as that professional provider that's on the same level. But we also have this whole team. We have social work. We have case management. We have pharmacists. We have occupational therapists if we need them, speech therapists if we need them. I'd love to have more of that. We also have great emergency providers, whether physicians, residents, medical students, nurse practitioners, PAs. We also have a behavioral health team. So if I have a patient that makes comments to me like their pain is too much for them to endure and they're thinking about harming themselves, then I can go across the hallway and say, hey, I need you to, to take a look and see if this patient is safe to discharge from your perspective. So we are a team sport. The other cool thing that our hospital does and I'm hoping there's going to be something published about this down the road, is we have what we call patient navigators. And so those are our, our people. They're usually college students, and their job is to help patients take that next step. So if you've ever been to the emergency department, and they're like, well, we want you to follow up with the neurologist in two to three weeks. 
if you don't understand the healthcare system or have the right level of health literacy or you don't know how you're possibly going to afford that, these are the people that make those connections for you. They will literally call and make the appointment for you before you leave the emergency department. If somebody needs to be expedited, they'll find a way to fit you in. If someone can't get home care because they don't have a primary care physician, they will find you a primary care physician. You don't have Medicaid, they're going to help you apply. So we are trying to tackle as much as we can for each patient in the short time that we have with them. That's fantastic. It's the coolest, right? I have the coolest job. <laughs> kind of sounds like it. It reminds me a lot, actually, of the pro bono clinic that I volunteered at when I was in PT school. And it was in, I went to the University of Minnesota, go Golden Gophers. And it was in a neighborhood in Minneapolis that had a very large Spanish-speaking population and a very large uninsured population. And so it was really nice because the clinic was run through the medical school, but it also featured, obviously, the PT students. There were OT students. There were pharmacy students. But we also had nursing students, and we had Spanish I assume they were Spanish majors that served as translators, but also seemed to kind of serve a similar role as what you're describing for this patient. Let me say patient advocate or uh, what was the term used? They call them patient navigators. Navigators. Yeah. Where, especially if the patient didn't speak English, but they met him at the door, walked him to the nursing students, got him signed in. I mean, they just walked with them to every single spot in that clinic. And, you know, while we only had them, you know, the clinic was open, I don't know, six hours a night, twice a week or whatever like that, but it was you know, they were waiting at the door when we, we opened and they were there well past the time we, we closed. So now was that not one of the most fulfilling things you've ever done? Oh yeah, totally. Well, I'm, that was a long time ago and I still talk about it. So yeah. Yeah. We have a clinic like that here that's run by students from our interdisciplinary medical campus. And so sometimes we have PTs that will go and precept the PT students that help with that. And the Spanish speaking interpreters, they come from one of our downtown colleges and Everybody works together, and it really teaches those students how to function in an interdisciplinary environment before they go out into the clinic or into the hospital. So that was going to be another question is, do you get a chance to work with a lot of PT students in your setting and give them an exposure to this wonderful world that you've discovered? Yes. Yeah, so I feel like if we don't talk to and expose students to this care area, they're not going to know it exists, and it and it might flame out, right? So... I go to the PT schools in Colorado every year and I give a lecture for one of the schools. It's an elective for one of the schools. It's part of their differential diagnosis content because that is so much of what we do in the emergency department. And so I give them case studies that they need to differentially diagnose from an ED PT practitioner perspective. And then we also do take students. I have a student starting with me on Thursday. And so it's it's exciting for the students. We also have students come in shadow so that they can get a sense of whether or not this is something that they'd like to try or not. And and I think it you know it takes the right kind of student who's like super excited about that type of thing and likes a fast paced environment. It can can move quickly and I guess be a little. I don't know. Kind of be open to a little bit of craziness because you never know. It's so unpredictable. It's not like you can you can go home the night before knowing what your caseload for tomorrow is. I'm gonna look up everything to be prepared for tomorrow. You're not able to do that. Like you literally have to show up and roll with the punches all day long. And I know for some students that's that's beyond their comfort level. 
So mm-hmm. it takes just a certain personality, and it's, it's not better or worse than another, but it, it can be really challenging. Yeah, oh, for sure. I think we, we have a similar perspective for students that come into our clinic because we primarily work with brain injury patients. So that in itself is a level of discomfort that certain students are just like, nope, no thanks. I want to switch gears a little bit uh, just because I know you through Twitter. Um, like I know, and I say no in quotes, but I, I know a lot of PTs via Twitter. And you're one of the one of the ones who pops up in my in my feed quite often. And you That's are good or bad. <laughs> I will say this: that you are a a consistently positive presence there. That there's you know people on social media do a lot of garbage, but that I find you are definitely, you do these, I lift, I lift up so-and-so I, you know, you, you're very encouraging and you try to, I think, shine a light on a lot of other people. And I think it's great because. Well, we, heck, we rise by lifting others, right? Exactly. Exactly. So I guess I want to ask if I'm going to angle this in a couple different ways. You were also in the, you were at the house of delegates recently. Yes. Correct? I'm the Colorado chief delegate. You are. Okay. So I would like to ask a little bit about that experience Again, I only got to see via social media what everyone was posting. And then just kind of ask your, uh, talk a little bit about how social media has affected your, I want to, I guess I'll focus on just your practice, either positively or negatively. So let's talk about House of Delegates first, because this was kind of a big year. This is the centennial. This was out in DC. It looked like it was very fancy. Well, I want to talk about that fancy part because there was a centennial gala. And it was a fundraiser to raise money for the APTA Minority Scholarship Fund. And Mm -hmm. so it was it was such an honor to be able to go to that and to help raise funds for that as part of the APTA strategic plan towards enhancing diversity, equity and inclusion. So, you know, people felt like we were just celebrating 100 years of physical therapy and there was a look back. But I will tell you that for me, that Centennial Gala was really focused on looking forward and moving away from who we had been and moving towards who we want to be. So I, mm. I, I really enjoyed that experience and what it stood for. And the student you were just talking about, she spoke at that gala. And it yeah. was, yeah, she did. And, and so when you said her name, like I, it took me back to that experience and hearing her speak there. And I was very moved by that. So that was a, yeah. an amazing experience. It was also very cool to see the, some of the oldest members of the APTA stand and be recognized. I, I helped a woman walk in who was one of the founding members of the Academy of Pediatrics. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, she retired like 35 years ago, but it was it was amazing just to even like hear from her on that short walk into the event Aww. some of the history and that she had been chosen to represent the Pediatric mm-hmm. Academy. So it was a very cool event to see a lot about our history, but also really to focus forward on on how we want the profession to be in the next 100 years. So it was That's fancy. So cool. But I also had to wear like a lot of suits. I, I'm normally a scrubs and yoga pants kind of gal, so I had literally had to like borrow a whole wardrobe. It was like being APTA DC Barbie or something. So it was a whole different experience. Yeah, I, I told my wife that uh, she has to help me pick out something nice to wear for the conference because I'm presenting at the awards ceremony. I'm like, I haven't worn anything but scrubs and shorts for 18 months yeah. now. So it was very it's, cool. It's though. It was very cool. So talk a little bit about your your social media presence and and a little bit about just 
I asked, uh, I don't know if you know Edward Mathis. He's the current president of APTA Michigan. He's, he's a character. And I asked him this question once a long time ago as well, just kind of um, how he uses social media. And so I guess I want to ask you why you why you use it and and how you feel like it has been a good or a bad thing. Oh, I, I actually have a whole Twitter soapbox. I know Ooh. you're now learning that well, I'm a soapboxy I mean, kind of girl. So I, cool. I use Facebook and I use Instagram. I use those for personal purposes. I don't usually connect with anybody really professionally there because that's where I keep my family. Um, but for me, Twitter is I, – I really resisted that for a very long time. And then I was sitting at CSM many years ago, and I looked up on the screens. You know how they have screens in the lobby? I was seeing all these tweets go by about what was happening at the conference and about things that weren't in the book, you know, the handbook that they give you (laughs) and like gems from all of these other presentations. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm missing all of this. And so I asked one of my colleagues who's pretty, who's pretty savvy with Twitter. I said, all right, I think I'm ready. Like, what do I do? And he said, you know, search for the APTA CSM hashtag and just follow everybody. And then you'll kind of get a sense of, of what it's for. So the groundwork that I laid for myself is that my Twitter is is for professional use. I don't follow a lot of things that I'm personally interested on there. I, I follow my elected representatives. It would be the only thing really outside of physical therapy or the medicine and healthcare world in general. But I have found that I get so much information just pushed right to me that in the past I wouldn't have gone looking for or paid any attention to. So I follow every APTA Academy, even though I'm not a member, I follow most of the APTA chapters because there are so many opportunities that you can take advantage of from out of state. I follow all of my local PT and PTA programs. I follow the NIH, the CDC, all, all of those major health organizations. I follow PTJ, all of the major journals that I would get information from. I follow physical therapists who are very active in the research world, the advocacy world, whatever it might be. And literally all that information just comes in this nice curated stream to me. I see things the day they get published. And I think that that is so amazing. Like I've gotten more evidence just kind of shoved at me in the years that I've been on Twitter than any other time. But I've also found it to be a very powerful networking tool. And I have met several people, Ed Mathis included, through social media and through connecting with other people. And for me, it was amazing to see how many like-minded PTs there are out there that I could connect with around emergency physical therapist practice, around ICU care, particularly during COVID. There was so much good information just available to me to use i've also found like role models to look up to and people who inspire me which i think is so critical when we're we're talking about things like burnout and resiliency like having those mentors and i also think that it's been really good for me to see some of the struggles that students are going through that i might not hear from a student like a student that i'm working with might not come up to me and say like these things are really terrible and i'm worried about them in the profession but I might be able to see somebody's talk about that on Twitter. And for House of Delegates, it's been really useful for me as, as a house, as a delegate, because I, I maybe got three emails from my constituents this, this year. But on Twitter, 
when there's this lively and mostly professional discussion happening, I can see <laughs> what people's concerns are, and I can hear from more people. So uh, for me, I find it to be a very large connection tool, and I've found it to be very helpful. There are times when I'm like, I need to just leave that, leave that be and focus on other things. So you might see me tweet a lot in a short period of time and then not for several weeks because I think you need a little bit of balance. But from a negative perspective, I have found within PT Twitter, there also seems to be a lot of like tearing other people down and disagreeing sort of rather than having like a, a positive discourse about what we might disagree on as far as practice areas and things like that. It, it, it's just a little negative. So I try to, as a focus, to bring some kind of positivity to that. And, and also from that student perspective, if a student is looking to me as a, as a person in the profession, as a physical therapist, I want them to see the good and not not think that we're we're here to tear each other down. So for me, I, I really want to lift others up. I think that's the better way to be. So I just do my best. Yeah. I think we all get enough petty, you know, tearing down, as you say. We get that in large doses already. We don't need more of that. And I think you're right. I, you bring some excellent points about, uh, especially thinking if because any any student out there i know <laughs> i'm guilty as soon as i get a notification of like a new student that's coming I'm like oh i'm gonna look them up real quick and see what they're like um i'm sure it goes both ways you know that 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 do i want them to think oh geez this guy's a, a hateful spiteful you know small-minded individual or oh they seem like they have some interesting things to say or what if it's so, your patient andy Oh. What if your patients are looking you up on Twitter? Oh, boy. Do I want them to see that, that I am not evidence-based, that I am calling people names, that I am um, fighting with my own profession? Like, I, I just yeah. feel like it's it's an open book. And the internet it's, it's is a, forever. It's becoming, it's, be, it's becoming part of our own resumes, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And that's how we connect with people. So. I don't know. I feel like physical therapists, we need to be to be for one another and work together to move our profession forward. And yeah. infighting is just a kind of a bad look. <laughs> there, there's a there's a place for discourse and disagreement, but. And that's a different thing than, you it's know, very different thing. fighting on Twitter. So I don't know if that kind yeah. of thing happens on on other avenues of social media, but I have noticed a lot of kind of our younger PT generation doing some really great things with Instagram as far as informational, educational videos for patients or other students. I've been blown away. That is clearly not my spiritual gift, but I think social media (laughs) can be used for some really amazing things. And I think we ought to be looking to kind of the new generation of PTs for leading the way on that. Yeah, I think it's, it's it's good to know what you're good at and what you're not good at. Yeah, it's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm not TikToking. <laughs> if that's even a oh, verb, man. it's a verb now. I I might as well be. Verbing is a thing. Oh man, Rebecca, thank you. This is this is fantastic. I mean, I feel like we could talk forever, but I don't want to. It's I don't want to waste a ton of your time. Anything else that you want to? Any last minute? I mean, this is your chance for soapboxes. So if you want them oh stacked gosh. up. Well, this I guess my, 
My last soapbox is that anybody who's listening who's not an APTA member, I, I feel very strongly about this, and I just want to invite you to consider it. Okay, so I'm glad you brought that up. So why? Because I, I get this question from students a lot, and I get it from coworkers a lot. And I think some of them have genuine questions in terms of it's expensive. I think having your employer pay for it is becoming less and less common. So where is the value in it that they ask? And what would you say to that? Well, I think that the analogy for me that's worked the best with students, particularly as we face like a student debt crisis, is you would not buy a Maserati and not insure it. So if you are spending one, $200,000 to get your doctorate in physical therapy, the cost of paying to have somebody advocate to protect your license, to protect your scope of practice, and to progress your profession forward is negligible compared to that. And it's an investment that protects your investment. So if, if you think that we'd be fine without all the work that is done by the APTA. I, I would ask you to consider that you, you probably are unaware of the full scope of what's being done on your behalf by those of us who are APTA members. We are working hard and frequently to make sure that we're moving things in the right direction. And if you don't feel like we are, then we need you in the boat because we're steering the boat as best we can. And the last thing I'd say about that is that the APTA is not just this huge organization somewhere. It is really a committed group of volunteers, of your colleagues, for the most part, that are giving our time, our effort, our knowledge, and our, our, our hope for the profession and for the future because we believe in it. And we really would be better if you could come and help us. Even if that's with your time, with your finances, with your opinions, I'm, I'm happy to hear any of that from anyone who wants to contact me on Twitter. I love talking about this and I really believe in it. So I just invite you to consider whether or not being an APTA membership might be an investment that protects your career and what we do for our patients. So that's my that's my last soapbox. That's three soapboxes, right? Like emergency physical was... therapy, Twitter, and then being an APTA member. What else is there, really? I mean, I don't know. Life work balance. That's my other thing. I'm on a one. <laughs> I'm on a one woman uh, mission to change it to life work balance and not work life balance. Ooh. All right, well, that's, just, that's another episode, I think. Yeah, that's a whole another thing. Dr. Rebecca Griffith is a physical therapist in Denver, Colorado. You can follow her on Twitter at rgriffithdpt, and I strongly recommend you do. You'll be a better person for it. Waves is a production of APTA Michigan. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Andy Wicks. Our co-host is Katherine Klein. You can find us on social media at APTAMIWaves. Episodes can be found wherever you listen to podcasts or on our website, 
www.aptami.org podcasts. Thank you for listening, and may all your documentation always be done on time.